Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Slap somebody a high five, tell them you love them, and you're so glad that they're in God's house today. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so I'm going to need your prayers today. In the, in the text that we're kind of diving into, it's, it's so multifaceted and multi-layers. How many of you know there's so many layers to the Word of God? And there's so much going on here um, that I'm going to do my best to unpack it in an, un, in an intelligible way. And uh, so I would covet your prayers uh, right now because there's just so much things. How many of you feel like you're at a crossroads right now? in your life. Anybody? It's like three people. Okay. So I guess count me four. Four people are at a crossroads in their life. Um, And there's something about being at a place with God to where he's got you to a point, but he's not giving you instructions about the next step. All right. Um, It's like God will take you to a place where you've gone too far to go back But you're not sure what to do to take the next step into the future that he has for you, right? And so you get in your mind when you get into that place and you wonder, should I turn back? No, that's too far back. I've come too far, but I'm not really sure where to step into. Uh, Some people call it, uh, you ever heard it called no man's land? They say that guy got caught in No no man's land. And here's why it's called no man's land. Uh, Because it's the space between your destiny and your past that only God occupies and where he calls you into being a fully devoted disciple of his. It's in the waiting place of a threshold between two points where God cultivates the character on the inside of you that prepares you to step into the destiny that he has got for you to accomplish in your life. This is what God is trying to do. And this is where Jesus is at here in our text today. He's caught in between the destiny to where he's going and he's caught from a past that he has come out of into something new, but he's not quite stepped into it. He's in a holding pattern. You ever heard of that? A a holding pattern in a place to where you would occupy and wait upon the next word of God. It's in the threshold. It's in the place in between where we learn whether or not we're going to wait on the voice of God or not, or we're going to step out in our own power or go back to our old life. And this is the testing ground. It's a, it's a threshold that God has called us to where he waits to see if we're willing to become the thing and not just step into the thing. How many of you have ever stepped into something that God told you to, but it wasn't the timing wasn't right, right? And when you stepped into the thing that he called you to before the timing was right, it ended up causing more of a mess than it did if you to just waited and let him work out those things in your heart before you stepped into that thing, right? And so this is a space that what we would call liminal space, okay? The space between two objects that's only concern is that you would cultivate character and become something and not just run out and go do something, okay? And so this is the place where God has us. I believe he has me there. 
Um, he has the church there. He's got many of you have come out of things and you don't know what the next step is. You just know you come out of something, but you don't know what to step into. And it's in this holding place to where he's cultivating an ear so that you would hear the whispers of God so that you would know when the proper time to step into the thing that he's called you to do. He's getting you still. He's getting you quiet. He's getting you to a place to where your only ambition is to hear his voice and only react to that. So Jesus here in our text is being tempted by the devil, but Jesus is retracing steps of a previous generation's mistakes. Okay. So Jesus is basically retracing the steps of Israel. Okay. So to really understand this, that he's becoming the new Israel, he's actually reinterpreting kind of the life of Moses and the Exodus. Okay. So here's what's going on here. So it's funny how this cycle works of how God makes us become something before we deliver those who are the thing so that we can bring them out into the thing that we actually are, not necessarily just bring them into freedom when they don't have the character to walk the thing out. Okay. Here, here, let me give you an example. So Moses is saved when Pharaoh lets out a decree that every male child is going to be decimated, that the male children are going to be gone because they're becoming too populous. If they understand how many of them there are, there'll be an uprising come up and they will overflow, overthrow the Egyptian uh, empire. And so from fear of their population, um, they sent out this decree to kill the male children. Now, here's what's happened. Um, whenever there's a groan on the inside of us, a cry on the inside of us, God's trying to birth some things out of us. And so it's a place in persecution. It's a place of wrestling, a place of bondage that creates a cry on the inside of God's people and they start birthing things. And as soon as they start birthing things, the enemy rises his head up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't birth things on my watch. And then there's a decree to try to kill the thing that God's doing. But here's the beautiful thing of what God always does. He always has a plan that's greater than Satan's tactics. How many of you know that? So Moses, he gets put into a papyrus basket. What did they do with papyrus? Well, that's where they wrote on their manuscripts and wrote documents and even wrote the word of God. And so we see this boat of papyrus reeds that they used for paper and there's a baby floating on the top of it. You're seeing a picture of the word becoming flesh, about to bring deliverance to God's people, okay? Whew, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Slow down. Take it easy. Take it easy. All right. That's supposed to be towards the end. All right. So he, he, so Moses launched out into, uh, into this river, into the Nile River without even giving a name. Who named Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. So even the enemy puts on a name that prophetically declares their own demise. Listen, here's what it is. He puts them in the water and then Pharaoh's daughter takes him out. His name be Moses. Why? Because I drew him out of the water. Okay. Moses raises up, right? He's 40 years old. He gets a glimpse of his destiny, tries to do in the flesh what God was wanting to do in the spirit. So he takes an Egyptian. He murders an Egyptian that's abusing his people, looks around, 
Everybody didn't jump on the bandwagon. They actually said, boo, and they booed him. And so he buries him with sand and runs away. How long did it take him in the wilderness to get his character right? 40 years. Does that sound like a pattern that we're seeing develop in Scripture? So the individual Moses is actually the forerunner of an entire nation of the people of Israel. That they went through the Red Sea as like a birth canal, birthed into the purposes of God. And the same thing that they went through was the same thing that drowned Egypt and Pharaoh and their armies. Listen. The decree went out to kill young men, but guess what happened? Their young men get drowned in the same testimony that they're trying to put forward into the earth. Listen to me. This is how it works. So Moses walks out this thing as Israel as one man. And then he goes back to call the nation into the same experience where they're drawn through the Red Sea and then they stay 40 years in the wilderness to get the character right. That's why I'm always, I think it's funny when Moses is like, these dumb people, God, that you gave me. I'm like, you did the same thing. It took you 40 years to get it too, buddy. But it's funny how when we're on the other side of the liminal space of the threshold that we begin to talk about those that are still in process. Come on, we've all done it. Those dumb idiots, why won't they get it? And we're like, oh yeah, it took me. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder. So, the, so, so they're retracing the steps of Moses. And when they cross through the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, we'll talk about that later. When they begin to cross through, they begin to sing a song called the Song of Moses or the Song of the Sea. And it becomes their national anthem. That their national anthem is a deliverance song about what God had done. Oh, God. It's just beautiful what is happening. But how many of you know, just because they crossed through the Red Sea and there was a great victory, how many of you know they weren't quite ready to walk into that kind of freedom? <laughs> right? Right? Because it takes courage to walk into freedom. So God lets them out, but where does he let them out into? Right in the middle of the desert. Well, we got to figure out, hey, wait a second. Who's going to take care of us? Where's the water going to be? Where's the quails? They're endangered. Where's the quails? Where's the onions and the cucumbers? And the leeks and the watermelons and the... See, God takes them from slavery but puts them in a position where they're going to have to face their worst fears. Does God really love me and will he really take care of me? And I'm telling you, he's calling the church into this same thing. And we're going to have to decide, are we going to be a people of fear? Fear of the economy, fear of this and fear of that. And all this will happen and that will happen. Listen to me. God is big enough to preserve his people no matter what is going on. Listen to me. He's big enough to do it. 
But the only way we find out that he is is to be in the situation where we really got to trust him, right? It's one thing to talk about faith and read about faith. It's another thing to step out into the wilderness and say, God, uh, let's do this thing, right? Like, like, and this is the place where God is, is getting them. They have to face their worst fear. And all kind of things happen to them. Snakes bite them. And then they've got to look at a snake on a pole. Right? Like, like, it's not like they stepped into paradise here. They have to trust that a rock is going to shoot some water out of it. They've got to trust that every day they open their eyes, fresh manna is going to fall from heaven. That's got nothing to do with their obedience, but has everything to do with the grace of God. See, it's one thing when you live in a way that you're earning everything, but to live in a way to know that you don't deserve anything, that you've got to trust the goodness of the one who is above all and is all, well, that's a different kind of pressure cooker there, right? Like that's a different kind of deal. So there's these multi-layers of of God bringing a people out of bondage and bringing them into a place where they're going to have to face their fear. So the book of Exodus crescendos at a mountain. Mm -hmm. And the mountain's called Sinai. And it's a place, or Horeb, it's a place to where God is going to meet them and tell them about his character and tell them his commands. Okay? So as he's at this mountain, as the people of God are are at this mountain, they're being faced with the reality of who they really are, of what they're not, and put in a position to where they're going to have to trust God with all that they have. That the ark of Exodus and the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, is like, it's like this from Exodus all the way up to Sinai, and then it's like a downhill journey of disappointment <laughs> where the whole generation have to die off. And isn't this odd? The generation that saw the miracles done in Egypt that toppled Pharaoh didn't have the faith to step into the promised land. The ones who never saw them and just heard the story, those are the ones that actually got to go in. So quit thinking if you see enough stuff, you're gonna actually walk in. It ain't really about that. It's about believing God's word, craving his voice, and following him with all that you have within you. It's a, it's a big trust thing. It's a faith thing that's going on there. And so they begin to go down. And so it looks like a disappointment, but it's really not. It's called this principle of liminal space. It's a principle that God has gotten them to a point, but they're not yet ready to step into it. So that God would say, hey guys, come out of Egyptian bondage, come out of slavery, come out of all that stuff, and I'm going to give you a land of milk and honey. And then your next step is the desert. And so you're like, God... Is this a Ponzi scheme? Like, (laughs) I just feel like I walked into an Amway meeting here, God. (laughs) And you just messed me all up. Because you said milk and honey, and you said these big promises. But but here's what you got to get. The big promises that God is putting together, the big things that he's doing is to give you the endurance 
to keep taking steps with him in faith that are preparing a character on the inside of you so that you don't just step into the promised land, you can actually nurture and take care of the promised place that he has for you, okay? Because what is it if you get into the promised land and you go out half-baked and then you just tear up the promised land? So now the the promised land actually looks more like Egypt than it does the promised land. See, it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but it takes them 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Do you see what I'm saying? And so, so this is what liminal space is always doing. It's always the pressure cooker that is preparing us for the thing that God has for us. It's what God is doing. It's this middle space, kind of like a door. I wish I had a door. Oh, praise God. The Lord is so good. Because it's one thing, you've, heard, you've all heard this, right? Um, how do we say it? The, uh, when God closes one door, he opens the, don't those just eloquent, um, you know, trite statements make you feel so good when you're in between? I mean, it just really makes you feel really, it just really helps you, right? When God closes one door, he opens another. But how many of you know it's heck in the hallways? Come on. Come on, it's heck in the hallways. It's heck in the hallways. But this point is not even a hallway. This point would be to actually not be the thing you currently were, but not quite be the thing that you're stepping into. So it would actually be a space right at the doorway. And you know what the devil tries to do? I need somebody in the doorway. Who's somebody spry and quick? Get up here, Elijah, you're fast. Okay, yeah, see, I get in the doorway there. And here's what, sorry guys, uh, there's a defect in our thing. It won't quite open all the way. Um, get in the doorway there. Yep, stay right there. And this is what the devil wants you to do. Here's, here's what he's trying to do. And this is what he's trying to do to Jesus, which we'll get back to in a second. He will try to get you to go back. Hey, psst, do you remember how awesome it was? Don't look at me, don't look at me. Hey, <laughs> do you remember... Do you remember? This is all going on in your head, remember? Hey, do you remember how good it was back in Egypt? Don't you remember? You were never lonely there. You didn't have to worry about faith and waiting for water and waiting for bread from heaven. You knew every day was planned out for you. You were institutionalized. Yeah, every moment was planned out back there and you could plan it. So you are the God. Who's this God that's let you out here into this place? You go get that. That is for, you don't even, let's just go back. And then when you don't budge and go back, do you know what he does? What you waiting on God for? What you waiting on God for? Step out of that doorway. You look so silly waiting on God in the doorway. What is wrong with you? You come out of there and you go into that promised land right now. No, no, I'm the devil, dude. Stay in there. Just stay. I will direct you. Just stay. Just stay. I'm a compelling devil, I guess. Jeez. Don't move. You're the man of God here, okay? And so this is the liminal. That's how enticing he is. He'll even get a saint of God to take a step. 
But this is what he'll do. If he can't get you back into gross sin, he'll get you way out of front of yourself where you can act real spiritual, but you don't have the character to live out the thing that he's called you to live out into. And you're like an old doughy cookie that didn't get finished baking in the oven. And you're flopping and flipping and going here and going there. And you don't know which ends up. And you're volunteering here and you're volunteering there and you're everywhere. You don't even know who you are. Because you've assumed you know. But if you knew, you wouldn't be wishy-washy in that place. And that's where the devil wants to try to get us when God gets us to liminal space. The point between we're not quite the thing, but we're not what we used to be. And it's the same place that God uses Satan as his pawn to get a character in us, to develop in us what we ought to be and who we ought to be and develop the character of what we need to be to step into. So Jesus is not above liminal space. He submits himself to it that Jesus starts retracing the steps of Israel where he goes to the Jordan and gets baptized. Now, did Jesus need to be baptized? <laughs> no, right? Like, he, like, Jesus has repented of his sins. Like, no, that's not what was going on there. But here's the cool thing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't let things happen to him. He actually happens to the things. So Jesus doesn't get baptized in order to wash away his sins. He gets baptized so that when you get baptized, those same waters could wash away your sin. He redeems the ritual of baptism is what I'm trying to say. Jesus doesn't let a storm happen to him. Jesus happens to a storm. And so he redeems the storm so that when you go through it, you could actually be faithful, okay? This is liminal space here. So when Jesus gets baptized, it's like a picture of Israel going through the Red Sea again as like a birth canal. You got to see it that way, born of water and of spirit. And so as Jesus goes through there, he goes into a wilderness place. Who does that sound like? Israel. For how long? 40 days. God can do in 40 days what took them 40 years. So we'll just say God to glory be to God. So he's showing a picture here of faithful Israel. Here's a new nation coming from one man. The first time it was with Moses and his process. But in this process, it's with Jesus and anyone that would put their faith in him and follow him as their new and true king that they would actually embrace life the way that Jesus did. And so he redeems the liminal space. So he goes into this wilderness area and the devil himself comes and tempts him, okay? And so what does the devil try to do? Jesus had an eight. He's waiting on God. Jesus submits himself to hunger. You ever had a hungry belly? Jesus too, okay? You're not above it and you're not below it, okay? It's just what it is. So Jesus submits himself to 40 days. And don't you know the devil knows when to come at the right time, right? He know, he's watched you for a long time, and he sees when you're lonely. He sees when you're hurting. He sees when your faith is at a really low level, and he knows right when to come in. And so he comes in as Jesus and says, hey, you know, I see you in the doorway. Um... Why don't you just turn those stones into bread and just show the world your power? 
In other words, why don't you take everything hard around you and make it soft? And here's what I've learned. You can't build altars with bread. That Satan was trying to get him to turn his altar into a soft place that wouldn't require anything from him. He tells him, hey, come on. But do you know what Jesus quotes back to him? The book of Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, but if I had to beat the devil with the book of Deuteronomy, (laughs) I need to study my Bible, okay? I'm just telling you. Uh, So he defeats him with Deuteronomy. Why Deuteronomy? Because it's the last book of the law. It's the book called the five-fifths of the law. Deuteronomy is the re um, iterization of the law to the people of Israel so that they would know for sure the law in their heart. It's a repeating of the law that God had originally given them, okay? So he beats them with Deuteronomy as the new faithful Israel that's going to actually have a victorious leader who's not left out, but actually has a victorious leader that can take the people of God into the promised land. So he defeats him and says, uh, you know, men should not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, I don't move when you make me feel vulnerable, lonesome, lonely, hurt, sad, depressed, anxious. I only move when I hear the voice of God come forth from the word of God. And that's what makes me move. Because Satan knows he can't get him to go back. But what he's trying to get him to do is to take some kind of shortcut into the future. Yeah. So he says, well, that ain't going to get him. Hmm. I've got another idea. Let's get him. Take him up on the temple mount. And we're going to put him on a certain corner. And there's a lot of things that could be going on here. And I'm speculating here. But so just kind of go with me. Don't quote me on this. But the highest corner of the temple that he took him, took him to overlooks, I believe, the Kidron Valley which on the other side is uh, the Mount of Olives. Now, there's something about prophecy where the prophet Zechariah declares that when Jesus comes back, he's going to land on that mountain. It's going to split in two, and he's going to bring a mighty deliverance for the people of Israel. Okay? So I think what Satan might be telling him to do, throw yourself off the corner of this mountain. I think he might be saying, hey, why don't you just jump across Forget about the cross. Forget about what you got to go through. Forget about all that suffering. Just go right on into your destiny without the process. And he says, guess what? Scripture says the angels will bear you up. Isn't it funny when you try to give someone the word of the Lord, they've always have a scripture to defeat the word of the Lord (laughs) that you give to them. It's just the religious spirit. It's what it does. And so he says what? Man, you shouldn't tempt the Lord, your God. In other words, I'm not interested in a shortcut. I'll stay in this doorway and look foolish for 40 days with no food, with nothing but the animals to keep me company because I'm committed to the process that God has laid out before me. Okay? So he tries one more thing. He takes him to a high mountain, the Bible says. 
I don't know what mountain. Maybe he took him to Everest. I'm not sure. But it was probably somewhere locally there that had some meaning. But I didn't study that out, so you just have to go with it. Takes him to a high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the earth. And says, if you'll worship me, you can bypass this whole process and you can just step right on into the thing that you, your destiny, right on into whatever you have. And the Lord is not even phased by Satan's suggestion to get him out. That this reality is about the comings and goings if you're going to be a people of the Lord. If you're going to be a people of the Lord, you have to be so entrenched into his voice that you're willing to look like a fool in a doorway before you step into a room where you don't belong. How many of you ever stepped into a room you didn't belong because you were honored for the uh, invitation? I'm going to tell you something. You don't belong in every room. Okay, and every invitation is not an invitation for you to step into whatever you think's on your life. That this doorway of looking foolish and saying, no, I won't go until I hear from him is developing a character and a heart in the man of God to where he won't be moved by the devil, he won't be moved by people, he won't be moved by the spirit of the age, he won't be moved by the zeitgeist that's infiltrated our world, he won't be moved by anything unless he hears from the Lord. And guess what? If he hasn't heard from the Lord, he's content to say, I haven't heard from the Lord. I think it's funny how it's like, I think, oh man, I got to get a word. It's like, no, you don't. You got to get him. And if he gives you a word, fine. But if he don't, you just need him, man. You just need him. So Jesus is in this lonely, desert, starving, thirsty, hard place. Says no to the devil. And then what's crazy is the Bible says that angels start to come and minister to him, and the devil leaves. And it's from that place, 40 days of wilderness, that brings Jesus into the fullness of his ministry. Why? Did he do it so you wouldn't have to? No. He did it faithfully so that you could too. That everything Jesus does is to invite you into that process and in that journey with him. Okay? So when God said it was time, he takes Jesus out and Jesus goes through and has the most effective ministry for three years the world has ever known. Right? Right? 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry and we're still talking about it. See, some of us are trying to have 30 years of ministry with three years of preparation. And I'm just telling you, it don't work like that in the ways of God. It just don't work like that. And that's why you see so many people falling and failing and this or that. And they say, well, the blessing of God was on them. The anointing of God was on them. Well, that's great. But did the character of God develop in them? Did something of God in his nature, did they get a hold of? Were they moved by the opinions of men? Or were they moved by the spirit of God as he gave them utterance to speak the things that they were supposed to speak? And I'm telling you, that is the place where the church is at. That's the place where America's at. We are in the threshold 
threshold of the door and everybody has a way forward. And I'm going to tell you what, you better not move until God gives the word and tells you what to step into for your life. If you're here in silence, don't worry because dad loves you enough. He would tell you if he wanted you to know. He wants to begin to create a culture of faith in your heart and in your life that won't move unless he says to move. And so the odd thing is, is Jesus steps out, is that when they're asking Jesus who he is, in John, you know what he says? He says, I'm the door. In other words, I am the coming and going of your life unto God. That the door is Jesus himself and he says, if you will just stay in me, I will let you know when to go in and when to go out. Because there's a time to go out, but not before the king says it's time to go out. There's a time to come in, but not before the king says to come in. So while you're in the middle of the threshold place, don't do a knee-jerk reaction and go back. You will rationalize to go back every single time. Have you ever done it? You'll rationalize in your mind to go back or to go forward every single time. And it's like, just stop that right there and just say, God, I want to hear your voice and your voice alone. And this is what God is cultivating. That when Jesus said he was the door, it comes on the cusp of him saying that he's the great shepherd, the good shepherd, right? And so what the shepherd would do is he had this place with, uh, uh, with rock walls around that he would lead the sheep in. And there was an opening in the front. And so Jesus would actually sleep. He's given just the picture here of a shepherd. And during that day, being a shepherd and a sheep was a metaphor of a king and a people. Okay? So he's not saying I'm the good shepherd. He's saying I'm the good king in a sense. Just letting you know. So when he's in the doorway, the opening, there wasn't a, a literal door like this. But he's sleeping in the way. And he's keeping everything out that needs to be out. And he's keeping the sheep in that need to be in. Okay? And so he sleeps on that way to keep them in. And sleeps this way to keep the wolf and the thief and the robber to keep them out. Okay, so Jesus is content to stay in the doorway as long as he has to, to protect you and to keep you in the right place. But how many of you know, there's some wild sheep that almost look like goats <laughs> and they will try to bound over the good shepherd and get out of there. And Jesus is like, no, it's not time yet. There's some wolves out there. There's some enemies out there. There's some things out there that you can't see with your perspective. And this is the great God that we serve. That he's not trying to be something. He'll just sit in the doorway and be a door. He'll just be a door. Content to stay in the liminal space. Because if that's where God is, that's where he wants to be. 
I love it to where Moses, and this was the, the cry of Moses, Exodus 33, God shows up to Moses and says, hey, uh, these people, uh, I weigh, um, they're way more stubborn and obstinate than I even thought. And if I go with you, I'm going to kill them. And you know it's bad when you surprise God about how stubborn and, and obstinate. And he just says, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the land. I'm going to give you the promises, and I'm going to keep my promise to drive those nations out that are occupying the place that's promised for you. So just go ahead and lead them. And Moses has the audacity to say, God, if you don't go, I don't want to go either. What is Moses saying? He's, Moses is saying, God, I'll stay here in liminal space with you at the door and look foolish and never step in if it means I can be with you and walk with you and fellowship with you. That the promised land ain't so much of a promise if you ain't there either. And then Moses curried the favor of the Lord through that statement. And you know what the next thing he said was? Show me your glory. <laughs> that it's in liminal space we see the glory. It's not necessarily in the promised land. Because the glory of God wrecks us so that we'll never be the same. So that when we enter into the promised land, we have the character to keep the promised land the promised land. But it's always about the space between point A and point B. And will we be faithful in that place? Will we hunger for the word of God? Or will we turn our altars into bread? And eat our own bread and have our own little soft bread pillow? I love that scripture where Jacob lays his head on a rock and has a dream. That it's always the hard place that gives the dream of God. It's always the hard place that gives the dream of God. So if you're in a hard place, don't you dare leave until God says leave. If you're being invited into a room, boy, you better ask God if that's the room that you belong to. And you better really guide and search your heart. Because you want to be in the perfect will of God. You don't want to be in the submissive will of God. I'm just telling you right now. But God has such good things for you. Lord, we just thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. God, you are the door. You are liminal space. You are the space between our old life and the Father. Because nobody gets to the Father but through you. And we're content to stay in the doorway until we look like you, Jesus. And then when we look like you, God, and you say go, we'll step out into the things that God has for us. So, Lord, right now, God, bless my friends. God, give them the courage to dig their heels in and tell the devil that ain't greener grass over there and to tell the devil I'm not going back to Egypt into bondage either. But until I hear, I'm staying right here with you. That heaven isn't a place, it's a person. <laughs> it's a person, it's him. And wherever Jesus is, it's heaven. Yes. Wherever presence is, that's where heaven is. So God, if presence is in the doorway and only gets to look at the promise, I'm going to be in the doorway with you. 
until you say go. Liminal space, the space between. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, man, I feel like I'm in liminal space. I'm in a space between. And I haven't heard anything from God, but I'm getting really antsy. I'm getting itchy. If that's you, put your hand up right where you're at. Amen. 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 You that are stand, you that put your hand up, would you just stand up at this moment? God's cultivating something in liminal space. He's always cultivating something. You that are standing, come, come down here to the front. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.